PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board studying is a little bit more enjoyable. I am Iltafat Hussein. I'm joined here by Dr. Blake Briggs. Truly a pleasure. And we're joined here by a special guest. Can she introduce herself? Yeah, I'm Marlena Wasiski Kuhn. We're going to tell you a little bit more about Marlena and uh, some of the rock star stuff that she's been doing. Uh, for every 10 to 15 minute episode that we do, we're going to drop some high yield board knowledge at EM Board Bombs. Let's get started. So today is not only Taco Tuesday, but it's also a special day yeah, yeah. in our podcast recording history. For starters, this past weekend, we unleashed our new quiz format on our website. Amazing. Shout out to uh, Chase Countryman, MS4. We've got so much talent. We do have a talent. We have a loaded team. Loaded. Loaded team. We're definitely one of the finals this year. Yes. And uh, and as you heard, Marlena here is joining us. She is our unsung media PR hero. She's responsible, really solely responsible, for the amazing growth we've had on Twitter and Instagram. And a little bit of backstory. She's an MD, PhD candidate at Wake Forest School of Medicine. PhD. (laughs) Super smart. Class of 2020. And she's an emergency resident hopeful, currently interviewing. And uh, our goal is to make her incredibly famous. And hopefully I mean, get me a job. And hopefully yeah, a job. Jobs are important. Wherever she wants. Yeah. Wherever she wants. Income is an important thing. People will actually be coming to interview her <laughs> at her position, you know, yeah. where she is, yeah. as opposed to her going. Forget the travel expenses. Forget They're that. coming here. They're coming here to see it at EM Boardbomb Studio One. You got it. So she grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she graduated a bachelor's in neuroscience from Johns Hopkins University. Small school. Haven't heard of it. Not John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, yes. All right. The. I said that, didn't I? The. I'm just saying. Okay. You're just emphasizing. The Johns Hopkins University. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. I'm taking a break from uh, the Twitterverse. (laughs) So we're going to do something special today. It's called Rapid Fire Board Bombs. Rapid Fire. And the whole point of this is to go through a good amount of questions not as much in depth, but the point is these are straightforward questions that are just, you can quickly talk about them yep. and hit a good amount of topics. So let's go through the first one. You want to read it off? A 47 year old male presents to the ER with pain in his back that radiates to the front. He was seen in an Urgican three days ago and prescribed azithromycin. When asked why, he says, quote, don't know. He says azithromycin <laughs> didn't help at all. He found CBD oil on Amazon.com, and he says it's, quote, the good stuff. He reaches to the lot and says it's healthy for him. Um, he's been applying it to the left flank where the pain is, and he even posted to Instagram uh, saying, hashtag, I think I have leprosy. His fellow social media warriors are upset that the medical deep state hasn't been able to figure out what's wrong with him. Um, on arrival, his rash is vesicular and seems to start at his back and move around to his left flank. You did have to ask him to stop his Facebook Live recording uh, while you interview him. Which of the following is true? A, steroids can reduce this man's symptoms. B, antiviral treatment reduces pain. C, post-herpetic neuralgia is the most common complication. D, he needs airborne precautions with others around him. Dr. Briggs, what's the right answer? The right answer here, most assuredly, without a doubt, is post-herpetic neuralgia is the most common complication. This guy has shingles. Ugh. I know. It's pretty awful. It's pretty, pretty, pretty painful stuff, shingles. Shingles itself is just a reanimated form of the zoster virus. Um, so when you have chickenpox as a child, 
it's a, a big thing that happens to uh, patients that are going to come into the ED often, especially your older patients. And, you know, younger patients can get it too, though, especially people working at uh, nursing homes, people that are in an environment where they're going to be exposed to immunocompromised patients, they can still get shingles. And, you know, the, the big deal here is that shingles itself is not disseminated zoster. However, it can become disseminated and it also can lead to other secondary infections like what? bacterial pneumonia. Yeah. And that's, can you emphasize that a little bit? Because I think people don't realize that as well. The pneumonia part? Yeah. It's yeah. With older people. Exactly. So remember that pneumonia is the most common cause of infectious death and people above 50 years old, bacterial pneumonia. And so the shingles is not necessarily the killing part, but the shingles will obviously lower their immune system's ability to fight off more common pathogens and pneumonia being probably the, the scariest. So what's the treatment uh, kind of that we're thinking about this? So treatment for this... Not azithromycin. Yes, not, not <laughs> azithromycin. Exactly. Um, so treatment, uh, acyclovir if less than 72 hours and greater than 72 hours if new lesions are still occurring. Valsiclovir 2. Sorry, back up. Yeah, yeah. Valsiclovir 2, you know, people have ask about that. Yeah. Those are much more expensive. They're less dosing, though. Pretty much no study has said they're superior to the other. Um, it's just acyclovir if the dose like a million times a day. Yeah. Pretty much every 30 minutes, I heard. Yeah, not, yeah, not that that many. I'm not, just kidding. It, but it's quite a lot. <laughs> it feels like that. It feels like it that. Up. Yeah. Exactly. But it's very cheap compared to Valsiclovir. Right. But they pretty much have shown um, equal efficacy in treating this. Yeah. And so you wouldn't, you know, have to give steroids, especially if, you know, you're less than 72 hours out. And in general, you don't have to give steroids. Do you ever have to give steroids? Like, will they ever be helpful? Yeah. And that's a great question because mm -hmm. oftentimes folks will say, um, you know, as a part of the up-to-date algorithm, sometimes you'll see steroids. Uh, really, it, for steroids, you're thinking more Ramsey Hunt, um, Ramsey Hunt, as some like to say. <laughs> Ramsey Hunt, um, you remember, you're thinking more uh, herpes, <laughs> ophthalmicus. Ophthalmicus. How can we mess this up anymore? So oh. Ramsey Hunt, we think Bell's palsy. Yeah. And, and yeah, if you're Bell's palsy patients, you're going to give steroids too. Right. Pretty much every Bell's palsy patient is going to get steroids. And I kind of lump them together. And you're looking in the ear as well, right? For you should always look in the ear with these people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those facial manifestations, that's when you have that low trigger to go ahead and give steroids. There's another place you should probably look too. Definitely want to look at the eye. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So looking at the eye is probably the big part of this because you want to obviously look for keratitis, which is devastating. Um, look for those dendritic lesions, and if you see those, you're automatically calling your ophthalmologist or ophthalmocologist. <laughs> anyway, optho as we call it. Basically, if you see any eye involvement, these people need IV acyclovir and they're coming into the hospital. Right. So can you break that down real quick for us? So the acyclovir, steroids, not steroids, and yeah. then the IV antiviral. Yeah. So acyclovir, if less than 72 hours or greater than 72 hours, if there's new lesions still occurring. Steroids are only for Ramsey Hunt. Perfect. You want IV acyclovir, people coming into the hospital, if there is eye involvement. Right. Bingo. Eye involvement is emergency ophthalmological <laughs> consultation. <laughs> so what does this treatment do? So what the whole point of treatment is actually, and this is what you answer in the boards, is that it reduces visceral complications and it reduces the rate of post-herpetic neuralgia. As we said earlier, that's the most common complication. It can yeah, be devastating. it's extremely painful. Absolutely. these folks oftentimes are presenting with multiple ER visits after they've already had the diagnosis, after they're already on antivirals. So... Uh, Post-herpetic neuralgia is a really, really big complication. 
And it's a big pain management issue in these folks. There's some thought that it might reduce viral shedding too. So on the boards, it's up in the air. Just do it. Um, here's the big deal though. I see this a lot, especially with nursing staff and other staff in the hospital. It's what type of precautions are these people on if they do get admitted or when they're in the ED. They don't really need any real precautions other than no pregnant women in the room, no neonates in the room. You know, careful, those neonates are roaming around the ED usually. And then no immunocompromised patients in the room either. You know, keeping a cover on these... Um, herpetic uh, vesicles that are open would probably be a good idea, hand washing. But the whole airborne precaution thing, that's all kind of out the window. We don't really know. You're never going to be tested on it. All right, so let's go to the next question. Uh, I'm going to read this one. It's a special place in my heart. A three-year-old is brought to the ED by the mother with concern for swallowing some sort of object. The child was actually watching X-Men, classic movie, and his favorite villain is actually Magneto. Love him. Love him. You would. You always seem like a villain guy. Wolverine. Wolverine was my guy. Really? Yeah, Interesting. Huh. The, uh, you seem like a beast guy to me. It's messed up. It's got a fish in there. It's messed up. <laughs> uh, that's, that's actually why. <laughs> the mother states she turned around at the kitchen sink to wash a dish and then saw when she turned around that the patient was playing with several objects, uh, ranging from Legos, magnets, coins, and even an open container of batteries, <laughs> both 9-volt and double A. Commonly kept next to the kitchen sink. Yes. yes. All five of those items. Yes, exactly. They were actually in a bin that said, do not touch <laughs> and do not open if less than three years old. So the child was playing with those. And things just keep getting interesting. So which of the following is true regarding swallowed foreign bodies? Choice A, all batteries require immediate removal. Choice B, objects greater than three centimeters need removal via endoscopy. Choice C, most common location for foreign bodies to get stuck in children is near the LES, lower esophageal sphincter. Choice D, sharp objects beyond the pylorus don't always need removal. All right, Dr. Hussein, what's the uh, correct answer here? Correct answer here is D, sharp objects beyond the pylorus do not always need removal. And you can tell that by getting a plain film usually. Yeah. Wait, wait, what about batteries? I thought we always take batteries out. What? It depends. So when it comes to swallowed foreign bodies, uh, indications for urgent endoscopy are sharp or long objects, for example, toothpicks and needles. You know, toothpicks are actually a big deal. There's a good New York Times article about how a athlete swallowed a toothpick and ended up having severe sepsis and horrible things happen to his career just from swallowing a toothpick. What was that toothpick laced with? <laughs> Uncooked sausage? (laughs) Bacteria that got lodged in his intestine. Oh, wow. Sepsis for Mm. a long period of time. And they weren't able to find it um, until he had a lot of harm done. Anyways, so uh, moving on from that depressing story. Don't ever use toothpicks. (laughs) Exactly. Indications for urgent endoscopy. Again, mentioned sharp alarm objects. You know, you have co-ingestion of a button battery and a magnet. Button batteries in general are just horrible. Objects wider than two centimeters, objects longer than six centimeters, and proximal to the pylorus over 24 hours after ingestion. The pylorus is this magical space that <laughs> when you call a GI doc or a surgeon, they will ask you about, is it past the pylorus or not? Um, and then they will proceed to argue about who will remove said object if it has still been there for a long period of time. So what's the most common area to get stuck? Doesn't that depend on if you're a child or an adult? Oh, wow. Spot on. Just coming Spot in on. There. Look at that. MDH. Uh, <laughs> right there. Most common areas to get stuck. 
it's gonna be seasick in kids and i saw this the other day um a child had swallowed something and sure enough it was stuck in the seasick area cricopharyngeal region recess as they say and then in adults it is a lower esophageal sphincter um the big thing about this actually i think is the batteries now it's interesting because the button batteries uh, and you know we've seen this on twitter uh, people post these awesome um gifs or gifs however you want to pronounce it gifs 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 yeah debate debate so the point is is that there are these awesome clips of what happens when a button battery is like put in raw meat and they literally look at it hours later and it's like melted through right it's pretty awful it is and uh, pretty disgusting actually um but anyway not all batteries have to get removed though so if it's a double a or a nine volt basically anything other than a button battery actually doesn't have to be removed unless it, it as long as the magical area well that in the size too right. so if it's greater than the two centimeter by six centimeter it will be taken out potentially that's car battery yeah a car battery that's a good point swallowing car battery would be a bad idea right. yeah yes yeah that'd be impressive <laughs> that would be <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's a good point. So location and, and size do matter here. And then just, you know, I had this case, you know, a lot in peds where a kid comes in, they swallow a battery, and everybody just loses it because they're like, oh, it's a battery, it's a battery. And we've always been triggered to say button batteries going to come out. But no other batteries have to immediately come out if the size is less than two by six. So just keep that in mind. That's a that's a classic kind of trick that I purposely put here uh, to just automatically yeah, make it with that. Proximal to the pylorus over 24 hours. That's a big one too. That's huge. So what do you do when objects don't meet any of those criteria? So mainly just close observation with radiographic follow-up and then Uh uh, stool checks as well, just to make sure that uh, you've had passage of said object. Uh, Something that I did, my one ER visit in my life, was when I was three and I swallowed a coin. Young Iltafat. Young Iltafat. And I got to come back to the ER a couple times for... Uh, multiple uh, x-rays. This was when uh, I was fresh off the boat from India. <laughs> My dad was a postdoc <laughs> at Chapel Hill. It was hilarious. It was I bet he was hard. mad. He had taken yeah, the ED. He, he probably delayed it by a few days. My insurance was kicking in like a week later. Some of the best episodes we've ever had is Ildefot talking about his childhood. The best is Ildefot's camping story. Yeah. You know, see our hyperkalemia episode yeah, and you can learn more about that. Why Ildefot never went camping. It was so, intense. It was, it was intense. Like camping. Yeah, for sure. So let's summarize that. Can you summarize that for us? Yeah, I can try. Yeah. Um, so small form bodies, indications for urgent endoscopy, anything sharp or long, needles, razor blades, common in, uh, prisoners that are swallowing things, co-ingestion of button batteries and or magnets, objects wider than two by six centimeters, and then anything proximal to the pylorus 24 hours post-ingestion. Those things are likely going to come out and need endoscopy. So what if you're past the pylorus? Well, as Dr. Hussain said, if they are looking fine, hemodynamically stable, they are not really abdominally tender, uh, they are tolerating a diet, and their bowel movements are normal, then in that case, we just follow these things. Repeat x-rays, check the stool, that sort of thing. And, and that's the key. And that's why, again, these are indications for urgent endoscopy. That's what we're really talking about here. So the debate is oftentimes between GI versus surgery uh, to actually remove these types of objects. Um, So we shouldn't just reflexively think that it's past the pylorus now, surgery is going to go in there and just open the patient. Yeah, exactly. Uh, One other thing to think about is whenever you do have an adult um, that's swallowing foreign bodies, what two types of patients are you kind of thinking about? This is kind of straight on the spot. Read my mind. Packers. That too. It's prisoners. Right. And then just like mentally, mentally, mentally disturbed, right. unfortunately, those are the two. Because like for an adult to like swallow these things, it's kind of like, 
Um, now, unless it's a toothpick. Unless it's a toothpick. So let's do a little quiz here. Oh. You have a gentleman coming from prison who has swallowed a few razor blades. And it's been three hours out. Mm. You get the plane fell. Mm. It's past the pylorus. A couple razor blades there. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Mm. Past the pylorus. I'm going to do anything. Even though it's a sharp object. You don't do anything. Oh. Just watch it. Intestines are pretty tough. Intestines <laughs> are tough. <laughs> Quote of the day. Intestines are pretty tough. So I was working my first community shift ever, and uh, it was one of our community hospitals. And one of the other docs was working there. He'd been in community practice for maybe 40 years. And I was kind of a little antsy that first shift because, you know, first shift you're sending some people home, and you're kind of like a little nervous about some of the people that are maybe higher risk. And I walked up to this community physician, and uh, I said, hey, can I run something by you? And I ran the case by him. And he's like, oh, without hesitation, I'll send this person home. I was like, <laughs> I said, okay, that's good to know. And he's like, hey, he's like, best thing I could ever tell you, best advice. He's like, you're probably smarter than I am. He said, you're, you know, you're just graduating residency soon. Uh, he said, but I'll tell you, human beings are pretty hardy people. <laughs> he's like, uh, it takes a lot to get rid of them. He said, so I feel pretty comfortable sending a lot of people home. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a nice little pearl and a nice little nugget. Yeah. Nice pearls and nuggets. Yeah. Don't just don't swallow pearls or nuggets. They're not good for you. And that's a rapid fire board bomb that we just delivered. Uh, remember to sign up on our website, EM Board Bombs, for future episodes, new content, and updates. Again, that's emboardbombs.com. It's totally free to sign up. It's no cost to you. How much is it? Zero. And we got a new quiz section. We do. We need to talk about this. Three quizzes on our website. Free to take. How many questions each? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a good amount of questions. Just go do it. Stop debating it. <laughs> so just do it. We now offer the uh, trifecta of board education. Yeah. Podcasts, handouts, and quizzes. All free. Yeah, and I think we do it in an entertaining way. Marlena, what's our Twitter? This is a quiz. Make sure Marlena's actually been getting on Twitter. And... At EM Board Bombs on okay. Twitter. That's good. Make sure. Instagram. Awesome. Drop us an Apple review, too. Uh, the reviews really help us uh, boost our rating in the podcast thing as we continue to take over the world. Sure. And if you're a residency director and you want Marlena to come to your program, just DM us. <laughs> on Twitter or Insta. Or Insta. I'll be Either there. Either one. Either one. She'll be there. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See you.